unitedinstitute.org podcast where we feature successful professionals and scholars. We are recording a fabulous interview today with one of the most fascinating individuals I've ever known in all of Latin America. His name is Cesar Simborth. Mr. Simborth, welcome to the program. We're very happy to have you on the podcast today, the unitedinstitute.org world podcast. Thanks so much for being with us today, Cesar. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for, for your generous and kind words. I'm glad to be here on this interview. And Cesar is joining us from Arequipa, Peru, which is the second largest city in all of Peru after Lima, which is probably going to be a, a mega city here not too long from now with over 25 million in its general uh, metropolitan region. But Arequipe, Peru, is where Mr. Simborth, Cesar Simborth, calls his home uh, and does his work. Uh, and he is a consultant, a researcher, and a professor in the areas of urban design and sustainable transportation with professional experience in the physical design and planning of integrated systems of public transportation, BRT, which is Bus Rapid Transit, uh, as well as the architecture of transit, including multimodal terminals and transport stations, metro accessibility, non-motorized mobility, Infrastructure and Parking Policy. Mr. Simborth has worked for governmental and non-governmental organizations with his home country of Peru, as well as internationally in the United States and India. Welcome again, Cesar, to our program. Is there anything else that you would like to add to your bio? Um. Not really. It was it was actually very comprehensive. I probably as long as we talk during the interview, I I will add uh, anything if, if, if related, if necessary. Fabulous. And we know that you are a very humble man, and you have actually been very privileged to have been appointed uh, for. Those of us who have known you, some of us have actually learned about you through what is called the Fulbright Program. That's how I met Cesar. Cesar, tell us just a little bit about the Fulbright Program before we go any further. And what, what did right. you do to participate? How were you selected? All right. Um, it was back in 2011 when I applied for the Fulbright um, scholarship to pursue um, master's studies from the United States. It was, I remember, it was a one-year application process, and there were uh, 16 places, 16 scholarships uh, for Peru, for for the country of Peru. And I remember uh, 14 of them were selected from Lima, the capital city, the next mega city, as you as you pointed out previously. 
and two other scholarships were granted to people not coming from, from Lima. Uh, one of them was my case. And as you already mentioned, I come from the city of Arequipa. And, and yeah, it was, it was um, um, I mean, to apply for a, a Fulbright scholarship, you have to build up a, a, a curriculum that goes along with the objectives of the program, which in the long term are contributing to build up um, local capacities and develop uh, the country no? in some way within your areas of, of expertise. In my case, I'm an architect and I, I am, I've been working on, on urban projects from about seven or eight years ago and, and I think uh, those motivations and my areas of work uh, contributed and contributed in, for qualifying for, for the Fulbright Scholarship. So you had to be selected by delegations as a Fulbright from both Peru as well as uh, from the United States, from what I understand. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. the way Fulbright operates is, is that one. They have like uh, like local chapters, like national chapters within, within, within each country where they participate. So there, there is like a, like a committee of people who choose applicants, you know, who choose what, what applicants are going to receive the scholarship. In one, there has been this like uh, national selection. Uh, these guys have to apply uh, to the United States committee. So yeah, there, there is like a two two stages in two countries process. You know, yeah, that's the way it is. Now you mentioned you are an architect, uh, and uh, I think. Uh, the listeners would be fascinated to know how you were able to complete your master's degree in the United States. Uh, was that with the University of Michigan? Yes, yes. Uh, thanks to the Fulbright Scholarship, I had the, well, within the process of Fulbright, actually, I applied to five universities in the States, and I was accepted in three of them. I remember there were University of Michigan, Georgia Tech in Atlanta, and Washington University in St. Louis. And from, from all of those, I chose uh, University of Michigan because uh, the, the Masters of Urban Design program in the case of Michigan was oriented uh, to work internationally and it was very much focused on the developing world. So that was uh, one of the main reasons that made me choose that program for, for my master's studies. And they, I, I, I remember within the program they had a they had a thing called uh, One Year One City Urban Design Studio, in which they focused the the production of the urban design studio in one city, and they chose a developing city, which was Rio de Janeiro. Really? Yeah. Now, tell us about Rio, have you ever been there? Yeah, yeah, we've been there three times. We we did actually three urban design studios on Rio, on different urban conditions. I remember on the first studio we covered the issue of informal city, so we visited the favelas and we interviewed local people, 
we interview local professors in Rio, local stakeholders, authorities, and finally we devised an urban design proposal to improve urban conditions in the favelas. You know, favelas are the uh, informal urbanization taking place on the hills surrounding and within the, within the city of Rio. And just as that, we cover different issues in the, in the following studios. We covered also the issue of uh, landscape and naturally sensible areas affected by urbanization. You know, that's something very common in, sure. in these realities, you know, in right. developing urban societies where regulations are not enforced or applied strictly. You know, sometimes urbanization uh, takes place over naturally sensible areas because of uh, real estate pressure and you know power and corruption and all of that so <laughs> so we covered uh, excuse me there's like corruption that. somewhere where you've been studying i think that's shocking no, 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 but in I, any case let's turn the, i know you're 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 talking about where you're you've been out in the field shall we say beyond yeah, the walls the of your I mean, your school there's corruption all over yeah Help me understand. <laughs> help me understand, Cesar Simborth. Uh, yes. You you um, decided to earn a degree that would give you a very unique credential. It's from what I hear, it's the only the only uh, combination of architecture and urban planning. What is the precise? credential that you earned when you were uh, learning in the States, yeah. in the United well, States? Well, it was a, um, my credential is, um, I mean, I mean if, I, if I understood well your question, my, the, 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 the master, the masters I pursued was masters on urban design. So yeah. urban design is a, is a discipline related to the design of cities. And, and whereas whereas urban planning has a more let's say policy making policy making activity, urban design is like a more practical discipline. Okay. And you, yes. Yes. It's a little bit more practical. It, that includes aspects of architecture. Is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Yeah. But but not specifically architecture. It it. It deals with uh, with the design of the city. Within that, you have urban spaces, and you have, and you as a urban designer, you devise the parameters for architecture to take place. Now, you know what I mean. You don't sure. you don't design the architecture, but you design the parameters for architect architecture to occur. Got it. So you lay out the ground rules, so to speak, that allow the architects then to proceed with to, with what they propose to do. Yes. And you design the vision, the urbanistic vision, how the city that you want, mm -hmm. people want, or stakeholders want, or agree to want, will look like. Now, what would you say your most challenging professional or academic experience may have been in your career, what did you learn from that? Mm, challenging. Well, I have I have had many challenges. <laughs> I will tell you about one that is taking so long, but hopefully next year will will take place. We are. Uh, I'm I'm working uh, from five from about seven years ago 
on uh, elaborating the project and implementing an integrated system of public transportation in the city of Arequipa. Uh, we have devised a plan to have a, an entirely new system of public transportation for the whole city. Uh, and that uh, implies uh, a lot of changes, okay? Not only physical changes within the city, I'm talking about infrastructure and streets renewal and street design, but also it implies a lot of changes within the, within the uh, business structures of current operators that now are in total informality, okay? So there are like a strong social and economic and entrepreneurial changes, organizational changes to take place. Also, uh, the authorities, the authorities um, need to understand how these complex changes need to occur. And that's also another process. And another process is working with the people, the users, the, the citizens that are going to use the system. You know? So, so there's also a lot of social interaction with them, explaining how the system is going to work. So there's a lot of processes going on. You know? A lot of different steps involved in communicating with different stakeholders. Yes. Yes, and sometimes, you know, within, within I'm, I'm, I will talk about uh, developing urban societies, sometimes political aspects uh, also uh, delay, you know, the implementation of plans. So that was also the case of Arequipa. Like, for instance, and in talking about challenges, uh, three years ago, the central government, I mean the, the national government, decided to change drastically our plans. Okay, they decided that we are not, we were not going to use BRTs anymore. We were going to use monorails. You know what a monorail is? Yes. A kind of an elevated train. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's one. In, there was one in Seattle in the states that was already dismantled. We have one but, in Detroit. Uh, as well. You know that was. Yeah, yeah, I remember the, the people mover, but, yes. but that's not exactly a monorail. Okay. Because a monorail has only one one set of uh, wheels in the middle of the train. It's it's a very specific and sophisticated type of train, not very much utilized in the world. But for some reason, the central government want to, wanted to overimpose a project like that within our plans. So that was like a really, really hard battle that took about two years. I mean, we had to argument technically why why that was not a good idea. And also, we had to explain that to the society. So how? In the, in the end, in the end, they decided to change the plans, and we are back to the, to the we went back to the original plans. We are now again working with the BRTs and the buses which is the, the actual physical, feasible system that the city can afford and citizens can pay for. So it makes more sense, it's a better fit. Now, would you say that was maybe, fit, yeah. would that have been a, sort of an aha moment or a, a discovery that you had that definitely um, allowed you to make some adjustments to go in a different direction? Well, talking about aha moments, discovery you, moments. Yes, yeah. tell us tell us about that. Have you had a, another aha moment or a discovery that occurred in your thinking, either in the academic or professional or personal, any area that 
you realized made sense and that impacted your life? Mm, um, well, I, 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 I have like aha moments every day. <laughs> I couldn't tell you like uh, a specific one that turned the direction of my life. Yeah. I mean, uh, probably I know applying for the Fulbright was one of those moments, you know, but um, and you did I, it. I, I could I couldn't tell you I couldn't tell you like a specific one like that one you know? like 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 right now I have like very small aha moments every day. You know? <laughs> what about what about your greatest one or two of your greatest successes? Obviously, the Fulbright is 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 one of them. Um, is there any other success that that was a milestone that you'd like to? highlight that we could learn about? Yeah, well, probably one of the experiences that professionally, let's say, was more influential in my life. I don't know if that's like the biggest success. I, I have had like many different interesting moments. Probably was having the opportunity to work in India. Um, I was interested in getting to know uh, from very close the extreme realities of urbanization in, in Asian megacities and having the chance of working in Mumbai and Bangalore which are 11 and 25 million people metropolises actually was really like enlightening you know enlightening in terms of professional challenges in, enlightening in terms of seeing what are are the difficulties cities are going to face in the future if we don't do nothing. That's why I don't like so much the idea of having a next mega city in Peru, which is which will be Lima, right? That's what <laughs> I've heard. Mega cities are like unmanageable, uh, you know, uh, unmanageable devices, and in, in, in some way are, are huge professional challenges. So yeah, that was that was one of these. Uh, and successful experiences I had. I was there doing research and studies about parking policy and metro accessibility for a new elevated metro system in Bangalore. Fabulous. Yeah, that, was, that was an interesting experience, yeah. yeah. Fabulous. From that, after having been in, in India and facing those challenges and being back in Peru, I, I came with a more optimistic approach. I came with a, okay, we, we, we are not still that far. We, we are we still have like smaller cities and we, we have to do something now. Now, uh, I would like to pause for a moment and uh, take a short sponsor break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Cesar Simborth from the country of Peru. Do you love your lawyer? Jeffrey G. Natton Associates PLLC uses the law to help businesses and individuals throughout the world. Visit jnotlaw.com or call 248-220-1501. UnitedInstitute.org is pleased to offer a series of self-paced online courses and simulations that help professionals become effective, productive, and creative. Visit UnitedInstitute.org. We're returning now and happy to welcome back Cesar Simborth from Arequipa, Peru, who is with us today. Cesar, would you tell our listeners 
what would be one of your current greatest, rather, current greatest challenges that you've, you've encountered in the recent past? What would you um, tell yeah, us probably the latest, about that? The latest, the latest biggest challenge I had was, was the one I, I was introducing before related to the um, overimposition of a monorail line within the integrated system of public transportation that the city of Arequipa planned many years ago and in, in which I in whose planning process I participated um, there were very very strong economic interest economic and political interests interests regarding even the national level government you know and, and international very very strong companies trying to push this project within the city not for technical reasons but more for let's say economical and political interests and in, in some way uh, me as an advisor of the city on, the, on, on those issues on transportation I had to I had to face the challenge of uh, together with a team of professionals of explaining what were the disadvantages of, the, of that project. And we had to even um, had dissertations with the Minister of Transportation and in, in other people, you know, um, influential taking, let's say, decision-making positions within the, within the government. And, and it was a very, very, very difficult battle or a tough battle. You know, I noticed that there was things a... were already Go ahead. We're already very rooted, rooted within the highest levels of the government. And you mentioned city, city, mm -hmm. very little can do about that, you know. But we had to build a strong technical, let's say, uh, position to that, and and that position took about two years. We also had to involve civil society on on, on these fights, mm -hmm. making people aware of 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 this uh, negative plan to the city. And successfully, in the anniversary of the city of Arequipa, about a month ago, the central government announced that they are not, they are postponing this this initiative. They are suspending that it. That was also a, a, a sort of an. They are suspending it. Yeah, they are suspending it. And yeah, that was sort of a professional victory because now we are. Um, we are uh, getting the system straight. We are making things right again. Congratulations! And hopefully, next next year, the implementation of the, the implementation of the system of public transportation for Arequipa will start next year. Fabulous! So, yeah, that, that will be a milestone. Absolutely, yeah. that's that's significant. And uh, of course, there's um, there's a whole lot behind what you just said, including having engaged the debate over what was involved at the highest levels because of the political and economic interests that were in the opposition but you uh, you prevailed so congratulations on that Cesar yes. Thank uh, you. now can you tell us tell our listeners what one thing that you are most passionate about now? What one thing are you most passionate about now, uh, Cesar? 
Yeah. Well, the, like the one of the main things that I am more passionate about is having better cities. You know, in the currently more than more than 50%, more than half of, of the global population lives in cities, and in developing uh, developing regions like Latin America, Asia, Africa the levels of urbanization will keep growing very fast. You know? Currently in Peru and Latin America, uh, above 75% of populations live in cities. But what's the problem there? Urban populations have grown so fast that it has been unmanageable for authorities. So as a result of that, cities are not are, are in trouble. So in some cases, cities are a mess. <laughs> But they host humans. They host the majority of humans. So we have to do something to have a better world, to have a better place for the for human humans to live and develop. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. We want to thank you, Cesar, for being with us. This is Jeffrey Nutt, hoping you will go nuts over our next episode.